Uh, I have a financial update for you. It's about the time of year when we want to let you know where we need to, to end the year. Uh, what we need to end the year the same, in the same position we started the year. We're not trying to get greedy. We're just telling you what we need. Um, we've had a really good year this year. In fact, we've had three months this year. Unheard of, by the way. Churches always have nothing, 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 and then Thanksgiving, Christmas, boom. Okay, that's how our income goes. So 30 to 40% of your income comes in in the last six weeks of the year. We've had three months this year where we've actually brought in more money than was budgeted. That's awesome. My prayer was that we would have 12 months this year, next year. Okay, so here's where we are. This is going to sound like a huge number, but I'm going to break it down in one way that should, should take away some of the fear. Between right now and 11.59 p.m., 11.59.59 p.m. on December 30, there's 31 days in December, right? Okay, December 31, so New Year's Eve, we need $784,000 to end the year in the same position we started. Now, just so you know, that's 392 people giving $2,000. That's just not unthinkable in any way. Now, if you write a check for $784,000 today, your pastors will shut up. <laughs> now, I want to challenge one thing, because this is just something, Lynn, Lynn and I, uh, we tithe to this church off of our gross. And we've done all that we were going to do this year so far, but just... There are some of us that can afford a little bit more. There are others that can't because of life circumstances. So I just felt like saying this this morning. I uh, spoke, didn't check with Lynn first. But I'm going to ask 392 of us to give $1,000 in the next couple of weeks, more than you were going to give. And that will just make this whole thing way easier and much less of a fire drill. So actually 391 giving units. Lynn and I together, we're going to give another, an additional $1,000 just to try to, let's just make it so it's not this panic and Jim Fortney doesn't have to be here at 11.59.59 on the 31st waiting for someone to knock on the door. Um, one other thing about that, and then we're going to pray, um, but one other thing about that, we are ready to draw on an interest-only loan for the construction stuff. We are ready to draw about $450,000. Now, we have not had to borrow one penny for the facility renewal and the new entrance yet. We are thrilled about that. We thought we'd be drawing in like September. Um, we haven't had to do it yet. We got an anonymous $300,000 donation toward that just about a month ago. Thrilled. Um, but how wonderful would it be if we end this year in such a way that we don't have to borrow a penny and that that renewal and that new entrance is free and clear. So just so you know what we're praying, that's what we're praying, that we don't end up having to borrow any money at all for, you know, until all these pledges come in. We have the pledges for it, but it'd be wonderful if it's just done. So with that said, I'm going to pray over here so that the video cutters know when they're putting this online that this is the spot. They look for me over here, then they know they can just start the sermon after this prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your provision. We know that you, uh, you never call anyone that you don't equip. We also know that you never send anyone that you don't go before and then alongside and behind. We also know, Lord, know that you won't give a vision to a church that you won't send the resources to fulfill. So we ask for your guidance. We ask that we follow you instead of asking you to follow us. Lord, for this message, you know what I'm asking, that that it be your message for us, not my message for them. Someone grabbed me in the hallway a minute ago and, and just said, thank you that I needed that. And I'm like, I needed that. I, I, I preached to me more than to anybody else. So Lord, the passion, the cadence, the demeanor 
the words, the illustrations that you once said, that's what I want to say. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear, and give us hearts to receive what you want to give to us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So, I love that song, Beautiful Things. Uh, I think in part because the first time I ever heard it, my daughter and my wife were singing it, and I just, I can't hear it without almost coming to tears. Um, but I, it made me think of something that hasn't occurred to me in a while. Um, do you think God ever had a bad idea? I mean, there's a comedian years ago that was like, you think Mozart ever sat down at the piano and said, everybody was kung fu fight? Nope, nope. <laughs> Mozart doesn't have bad musical ideas, right? Do you think God has a bad idea? You think he ever goes, I wonder if, if we do and make that? Nah. No, of course not. And you know what? You're God's idea. He's always thinking about you. Always. You know, we talk about you don't even wake up unless God speaks the word awake to you. But he sustains all things through the power of his word. God is always thinking about you. And he's always thinking about what's going to happen for you, in you, through you, about you, from you, all the time. In fact, we're told that he prepared good works in advance for us to do. Only person on the planet that can do the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do is you. So he has you as his idea, and he wants to see you fulfill and become all that he always thinking about for you. And the same is true for the person that you don't like. He, they are his idea as well. So we're going we're gonna to head at this um, this core value, faith is a journey, um, in, a, in a direction that you might not predict. If you just read this, this, this core value, you might go, okay, yeah, it's about, it's, about, it, it's, it's about the process that God uses to not leave us the way we are. See, this, and theologically speaking, faith is a journey. There's a word for it called sanctification. But uh, when I was in seminary, I realized that I might be familiar with words, but I don't necessarily understand the spiritual meaning behind them. And then I got to be, in fact, I was a, an adjunct professor when Pastor Kurt went through uh, his credo class, his I believe statement. And my job was to help the students figure out how to say in meat and potatoes terms what theologians have caviar words for. And so this faith is a journey, great. But the spiritual theological word for that is sanctification. Last week, that whole idea of transformation, that's justification. But I'm going to say it. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Sanctification is this. Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he refuses to leave you that way. And the process by which he refuses to leave you that way is sanctification. That's the journey that he starts with us, walks with us, shows us, grows us, and knows us. That's, that's this process. So let me read this. The scriptural basis for this is, is Luke 24 and Philippians, and we'll read those today, but... It says, while there are examples of conversions like Paul, all at once a life has changed, we believe that faith is a journey. We will stumble, grow, misunderstand, fail, and succeed. Sometimes we'll be faithful and sometimes we will falter. But all of these experiences are used by God to make us more authentic, reproducible or reproducing, transformed, and selfless. No one is a good Christian. We are simply Christian or not. And God is working to complete the good work that he has begun in us. Now that's from Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read that. I'm going to read a couple of, I just, when Lynn and I were falling in love, one of the things I really loved about her is that she had, she had memorized, I think, the whole book of Philippians. 
I don't know if it was the whole book or if it was the first three or four chapters, but one day on the phone, rotary phone, we were talking and she, she's asking, you know, and she recites verses upon verses upon verses. And Philippians has always been one of my favorite uh, epistles because Paul just oozes all over the Philippians. If he has a favorite church, according to what he's written, it's Philippians. Now, if you want to know what his least favorite church is, it's Galatians. He never once thanks God for the Galatian people. <laughs> So in Philippians, we're looking really at the last verse, but I'm going I'm to emphasize this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, there's a piece of that that we often leave out. Being confident in this, that he will, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When is that? Anyone know? Huh? If you do know, something's wrong. In fact, everyone who's ever predicted the day of Christ Jesus has gotten it wrong so far. The only one who knows is the Father. And so what we can say with certainty is that he who began a good work in you will can carry it on to completion until... The day of Christ Jesus is, it's not yet. So he's not done with you yet. He's not done with me. He's not done with the person that you don't like. He's not done yet. He's, he wasn't even done with Paul when Paul was writing these books, when he was writing these letters. Here's a man, Paul, who, who thought that he was, he thought he knew the God of the universe. He, he was doing everything he could, killing people because he didn't want them to blaspheme God's name. And then God showed up on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, what? Why are you persecuting? Who are you? And then he, and he stopped him and he blinded him. He sent him off somewhere. And then he came to another guy who should know. This is a Christian man, Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul, the guy, yeah, yeah, the one who's been to persecute. I want you to go give him back his sight and I want you to train him up. And Ananias, he knows Jesus. And he's talking to God and he says, well, well, well hey, hold on, I, I know him. Are you sure? Like we really have the right to question God. And God like, hey, stop, you go. Give him back a sight, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. But this is a man who, Paul, who after 12 to 13 years was ready to start his missionary journey where he went around the known world three times. He didn't talk only to the people that knew who his God was, but he talked to the people that had never heard of his God. Paul was an apostle called by Christ himself to do powerful and amazing things, and he's the last guy I would have picked. Paul, who developed the doctrine of Christ in Romans, says that I can be absolutely confident in this, that God, who began a good work in you, will not give up until it's done. Praise God. Praise God that he's not done with you yet. And now a passage that doesn't seem to fit. Luke 6. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We love this faith as a journey. We love this idea that God's not done with me. I love the fact that I was talking to someone out in the commons area, and she mentioned someone I knew in college. 
And it, I'm always scared when someone that I went to college with shows up here. Because I know that in our culture, Western Michigan, maybe in particular, I don't know, in our culture, we tend to remember people for who they were and not who God is making them to be. And I know that I was the last person that I would have chosen to do what I do for a living. See, we have these people, you know them, I know them, you might be one, who quote unquote sin out loud. I'm not going to go into, there's a lot of kids in the room, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but parents, the things that you don't want your kids doing, right? Because good people, good Christians don't do that. And then you have the rest of us that we kind of know, we kind of figured out what things are taboo and what things are kind of acceptable. Look, we'll just pretend that I won't call you on that. You won't call me on that. And we'll just, but those people, and you know who they are. They're the people who aren't raising their kids right. And you don't want your kids hanging out with them. They're the people who don't dress right, talk right, who, don't, who think that some, things, some substances that you can put in your body are okay and you think they're not. Because good Christians don't do that. But as soon as I say that, as soon as I look at that person and I judge them, and I might couch it, I might couch the judgment and call it a prayer request, which is gossip. I have a prayer concern to share with all of you today. They're sinning out loud. I'm sinning quietly. There's no difference. And Jesus tells me in that Luke passage that if I judge, I'm judged. And the same measure that I use to judge, I have expectations that these people should be. Jesus should have completed the good work that he began in them. But I know he hasn't completed the good work. He, you see what I'm saying? We, we have different criteria for ourselves than others. And if you're not quite there yet, I'm going to give you, and this is, this is dangerous for me, um, not because it's sinful, it's just, it might come off as woe is me, but I've been, this idea came to me Thursday, and I, I'm kind of going, no, 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 and he keep, and even this morning in the first service, I stood right here and I prayed, Lord, if you want me to use that physical illustration as a spiritual metaphor, make it, confirm it, and he did. So I'm going to use this as a physical thing about me that I'm going to ask you, because I know you're wise, to translate it into a spiritual metaphor. Okay? I worship in this service sitting down most of the time. And some people go, well, if he wants people to be all, then he should be all fair. But what you don't know is that in June of 1989, I hopped down a hill and broke everything below my knee. And I have screws in my ankle. And after preaching, standing up and preaching two services already, if I stand there for 20 minutes during the singing, I will fall when I come up because my ankle will be locked up. There are things people ask me to go, um, want me to go on the, on the Mexico mission trip. And I would love to go. But I can't do the work. Because I've had 22 dislocations. 21 on my shoulders, one on my ankle. I can't carry the bucket of of drywall mud or of the stucco down the hill that you guys talk about because my ankle doesn't bend that way and this hand doesn't feel anything. I look perfectly normal, big head, but otherwise you wouldn't know. I've been in nine car accidents, two were rollovers, two I was in the driver's seat, one I ended up with amnesia and a concussion and maybe closed head brain injury. Lynn and I just drove by that place on Alpine Avenue on Friday, nervous as I could be. 
I've had 14 surgeries. I did math on Thursday when this illustration kind of came to my mind that since I was 17 years old, and, I'm, and, if I, and this, is a, this is a conservative estimate, but six, injury to surgery, six weeks, surgery and recovery, six weeks, and recovery and re, to rehabilitation, six weeks, minimum, five and a half years of my life in the last 28 have been convalescing. Laying in a hospital, preparing to go in a hospital, laying in a hospital bed, recovering from it, or doing, doing physical rehab. And that's not even counting the Achilles tendon, which is a year, six months before you can do things, and then a year before you trust it. So I've had six, almost six years of my life, my adult life, that I couldn't do the things that other people do. And my brother would judge me when I was getting big. And when I developed metabolic syndrome, when I had insulin resistance and all those kind of things. Because, well, just do it. Move more, eat less. Well, everything hurts. If I go running, it takes three days before my ankle will work right again. You don't know if I don't tell you that I have to sit to worship. And the beauty of it is that I actually worship in lyrics. I love ideas. And I worship with God by the ideas of him. And, and I, I'm asking him to give me new and true and better ideas. Now, I tell you that not as a woe is me, but I'm hoping that you'll see that if I don't tell you that, you can't know those things. And if someone is sinning, and you look at me and go, just don't do that. Stop it. You don't know how tempted they were. You don't know what God, what the, what the devil, the enemy of God has brought before them. How often they pushed it away. How many times they said no. You don't know how much they struggled. How, 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 how strong the temptation was. You don't know. But you think you do because it did, you didn't have to struggle in that area. You don't know how many times your spouse that, that, that judges you or that comes at you or that feels superior to you or that, that you don't know if, if that someone who sins against you and you see, oh, yeah, I'm broken, I'm sick. But, but so is that person. We don't know the heart of another person. But because we think we know our own heart, we feel like they should be where we are and we believe that God has not finished with us yet, why don't we believe that God has not finished with them yet? Why don't we see ourselves as God's idea and also believe that the person who's screwing up is God's idea too and he loves them dearly? He who began a good work in me isn't done yet. He who began a good work in this person isn't done yet. God uses the unexpected people to do impossible things in ridiculous ways. We're going to read a passage here in a moment in Emmaus Road. It, it's, just, it, it's, a, it's a one day thing, but oh, it's so much more than that. But let me just sum up one thing for you. The people of God come out of Egypt. They, 40 years they wander around in the desert, and then it's time they show up to the, to the, to the Jordan River, Joshua 24-ish, um, or jo Joshua 4-ish. Um, they come to the Jordan River, it's at flood stage. After 40 years, now, really, God does a miracle. He splits the, 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 um, the Jordan River, they go across, and the next thing they have to do, this non-warring, haphazard, kind of wandering people, God says, I'm going to give you Jericho. Now, Jericho is a fortified city, huge wall, major army, they never lose. And here's what God tells them to do. I want you to go right up to Jericho, and then every day I want you to walk around Jericho with all your weapons blowing horns. Militarily speaking, strategically speaking, that's the dumbest thing you could do. Number one, it's predictable. Number two, it shows them everything you have 
how you're going to come at them, the time of day, all of that stuff. And, and you're going to do nothing. You're just going to walk around blowing horns and then you're going to go back and camp. And do this for six days. And on the seventh day, I want to exhaust you completely and have you walk around the whole city seven times. And then at the end, you're going to go, ah! And the walls will come tumbling down and I will give you Jericho. No. No. But he did. They did as they were asked. They did as they were told. And God used an unexpected people to do an impossible thing in a ridiculous way. And he's going to do the same thing with you. There is no way I should be standing up here. If not for the grace of, the mercy of, the pure love of, the strength of, and the call of, and the equipping of God, I'm the last person that should be standing in front of you to proclaim his word. And I defy you, look in scripture, other than Jesus, you will not find a man or a woman that Jesus has picked or that God has picked to be his mouthpiece or his spokesperson or to accomplish great and mighty things that you would have picked. I wouldn't have. Now, isn't it possible, if not likely, that the person that's sending out loud is the last person that you would pick, that God might have an idea about them that we should be praying for, praying into and lifting up. The day that Jesus resurrected, we're in Luke chapter 24. The day that Jesus resurrected, a couple of women went to the tomb, and he wasn't there. And a gardener showed up, an angel, but looked like a gardener. They thought it was a gardener. And said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And they were freaked out, and they went back, and they told everybody, and then Simon Peter and another, depending on what gospel version is, the who, you know, John outran him. They go to the tomb, and it's just as the women had said, Jesus isn't there. And, and two of the, the disciples, maybe not two of the 11, but two of that, that, that tight circle decided, we're done. They're going home. They're going off to Emmaus. And it reads like this. Now that same day, again, that's the Sunday of, of resurrection. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing them. And he asked, what, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Um, and then Jesus says, what, what things? He's being kind at this point. Now, just want to humanize it just for a second. Any of you old enough to remember Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live? Okay, remember when he used to have that interview? He would like, he'd be with like the, the, someone from a, from a band that he really liked. He goes, hey, remember that one time when you did this one thing? And he just, he, he got it awkward. And then he'd go, stupid, stupid, stupid. I have to believe that Cleopas... After he realizes who he's talking to and said, were you just a visitor? When it happened to him, he had to be walking later that day going, stop, just saying, just saying. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. We have communion. I'm reading fast. I'm hoping you're following. 
the chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem or buy back Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, and they, they went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and they told us uh, that they had had a vision of an angel uh, of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. That's when Jesus starts to, even, even he loves them and he's going to correct them and it might feel kind of biting, but he only wants what's best for them. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, seven mile journey. Where he meets him, I don't know. You travel about 2.5 miles an hour, average human being. When Jesus starts talking from Moses through the prophets, don't you think that you're going, you're going to try to speed this journey up a little bit? It's like you're thinking right now, there's four minutes left in this room. Let's go. I'm here. Whoever that is laughing, thank you. Keep it up. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go further. Uh, and they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he was talking with us on the road and opened the scriptures for us. And then they, they headed back to the others and told them what had happened, that it's true. Now, this is one day. This is probably the better part of a, of a long afternoon. And, and we use it as faith is a journey. But it's not just one day. These men, Cleopas and whoever else he was traveling with, they weren't one of the 11, but they were one of the inner, maybe not brothers, but cousins that were raised with the brothers. They heard every word Jesus ever taught. They saw every miracle Jesus ever performed. They, they saw every demon-possessed person set free. They saw the man with a shriveled hand, his hand open up. They saw the, the little dead girl, Talitha Kum, that got, he said, raised. He saw the, they saw the woman with the issue of blood who was restored not only to her body, but to her community. Saw the, the, <clears throat> the paralytic. They saw the, the man at the pool at Bethsaida. He, he, saw, he saw the blind man when he spit in his eyes. He says, do you see anything? He says, no, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And Jesus touched them again. They saw it all. They heard everything. They, they were on the sea going to, 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 to the Decapolis when the, the earthquake rose up. That's the word for storm in that. And they saw Jesus sit up and go, shh, and the wind and the waves. But they still didn't get it. They had lenses on. They thought Jesus is going to be, the, the Messiah is going to be the person that, that's a political revolution and we're going to rule in God's name across the earth. And Jesus shows up and he goes, that's not it. Take those lenses off. And folks, you have had dozens, if not hundreds of these moments in your life where God shows up and speaks something differently, shows you that you had it wrong. I can tell you the day I became a Christian, August 5th, 1981, I knew I was choosing between heaven and hell. I can tell you the day I was called to the ministry. I can tell you the day that that was confirmed. I can't tell you the date, but I can taste the air. I can tell you what, what happened to me in my, in my sinful behavior at Hope College. And I can tell you about the person that, that showed me, Jenny Evers, that showed me how to accept God's forgiveness by also forgiving myself. 
I can tell you about the time that I knew that Lynn and I, that I had fallen in love with her. I can tell you about the day that I told her that I love her and that I plan to marry her. I can tell you about the day that I was, I have told you about the day that I proposed for her to her because she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I've got this ring. I can tell you about our wedding. I can tell you about my call to Hardaway. I can tell you about when I knew it was time to go. I can tell you about when Dan uh, Stoughton stepped into my office and said, do you want to talk to us at community? When I, and I felt inside, I just knew that I was supposed to. I can tell you about betrayals. I can tell you about sin. I can tell you about pride. I can tell you about pain. I can tell you about all of them. Because God is walking on a journey with me and he's showing me, he's growing me and he wants me to know him better and he's showing you, he's growing you and he wants you to know him better and he's growing the person that you don't like and he's showing them and he wants them to know him better. This, God's not done. And I want you to know one thing if you haven't thought about it already, God's job is not to make bad people good. It's to make dead people alive. We are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our sin. No, all have sinned, says God, and I'm part of all, and fall short of God's glory. No one is good, says Paul in Romans, not even one. No one seeks God, not even one. So if you're seeking God, it's because God first sought you. It's because you're his idea. And if you're being made new, that means you're no longer dead, but you're being made alive. You have been made alive. You are being made, being, be being made alive. And you will continue to be being made alive until Jesus completes the work that he's begun in you. And I want to praise God for that because he makes beautiful things. And you're a good idea. And he's not done. And I can't wait to see. And I hope you can't wait to see what he's going to do in me. And I hope and pray that you're a part of what he's going to do in someone else. Because if faith is a journey, if God loves you just the way you are and he refuses to leave you that way, then the same is true for the person next to you. Whether it be your spouse, whether it be your wayward child, whether it be your best friend, doesn't matter. He's not done. And nor should he be. And so every time that you celebrate your eyes opening, your lenses changing, you knowing him better, you growing a little bit more because he showed you something new. Look for other ways that other people are experiencing that. Ask them to tell you because you know who's an expert on them? Them. And they might be struggling out loud. You might be struggling quietly. But God's at work. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. There's something unusual about communion. It's communing with God, connecting us with God. But it's communing us with one another. Unity in the body of Christ as Christ joins us as his body. It's a beautiful thing. It's about hope. Take a moment during the time when Pastor Kurt is coming up and ask God to show you if there's someone that you have a condemning spirit toward, or if there's someone that you're not forgiving, or if there's someone you're judging. And let communion be the time when you say, Lord, no more. I want your heart for that person instead of my heart for that person. Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Let's pray. 
Lord, whatever it is you do with the bread and the juice, we ask you to do it now. We know it's a means by which you give us grace, but it's also a, a call for us to give your grace to others. Thank you that you're not done with us. And we ask that you give us eyes to see how you're, not how you're not done in someone else, but what you're doing in someone else. Remind us, Lord, that it's not our job to strive more. It's our job to cooperate with the good work that you've begun in us. It's not our work, Lord. It's yours. We pray this in Jesus' name who gave his life for us. Amen. If you're leaving here feeling poked, good. If you're leaving here feeling condemned, I just want to promise you one thing. That was neither my intent, nor is it the Lord's heart. Therefore, there is no, that means none, not for anyone. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if there's a little poke, okay, take that up with God. Ask him to show you. And if you're otherwise just like, oh, that's right, I'm God's idea. And he's not done with me yet. Just revel in it. And the next time you're in a spot where you're struggling or where you're frustrated or it seems like this drought, this difficult time, this, this pain is going on too long, here's what God says. Just keep looking at me. Why he will use pain, I don't know, but I promise you he won't waste it. Why he will use struggle, I don't know, but I know I know him better through my struggles than I do through when things are going pretty easy. So I pray that you receive this good word from God as he intends it to be for you. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance or God give you his face and know that he's smiling at you and that he give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with it and the peace of Christ.